I know um, when I, Trent and I had talked about this counterfeit God series that he was doing, by the way, it was kind of funny this morning because somebody, when I first put the, Brian gave me the mic set and I put it on and you could tell somebody came in there like, okay, he's got a black shirt like Trent. He's got no hair like Trent, but man, he looks like he's, you know, depressed over the hostess situation has been filling up with Twinkies before they go out because he's a little bit bigger than Trent. You know, I don't know. And so it's like, no, I'm not Trent and Todd. So, um, but when we're talking about the counterfeit series, um, I've been in a lot of different countries uh, and it's just. We always think of idols as these little things. And just like that, you know, in Kathmandu in India, you know, they actually had human remains that they're cremating right there at the river because they see it as a source of purification. You had to totally annihilate the substance physically before, you know, and if you know anything about their uh, religious uh, background, they believe in, you know, going from living in different life's um, experiences. So you die and you might come into your next life as a cat, the next life as a cow, you know. All that different stuff, and we think, man, it's so foolish. How could people ever get caught up in that stuff? But an idol, man, if you have a if you have a mascara or a pen or anything, an idol is anything that you truly worship. It's anything that takes your passion in place of what God should be in your life. And I know Trent last week had, um, and this morning we want to take away what idols in my life are really taking God's place in my worship. What am I truly worshiping? And um, Trent had went in last week, I think he brought you guys to Exodus 23, and Exodus 23 says, you shall have no other gods before me. And we get that, and we think, man, how could these people be so ridiculous? I've, I've been in China and had, I remember one of my first times in China in a Buddhist temple, I saw this grandfather and his little three-year-old grandson. I could tell they were poor, he had what money he had in his pocket. He burned at the purification table. You, you burn your money at the purification table that shows as a Buddhist you're dying to materialism. And then you went from there and you bought the money um, that you used in the Buddhist temple to put at the different idols. And every family picks an idol, not just Buddha, but you pick an idol for your... And you, just, it's so, and you think, man, how in the world you know, can people get caught up in that? But in America, we're the same way. And idols, let me just tell you, idols always... God always uses an idol that goes through the five senses. If it smells good, tastes good, feels good, looks good, sounds good, you're going to naturally crave something that's out of the control, out of the norm that God should have, out of the balance. And what he, <coughs> what he did in the Old Testament of saying, no other guys before me, Jesus took in the New Testament and said, let me unpack that for you, because this is what, what he's talking about in the Old Testament is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest in first commandment. In other words, your whole desire, your, soul, your whole essence ought to be in what God has created you to be, and that's to have a relationship with him, and that is to be in his kingdom purpose of making him known. And we say we get that, and we're going to look at two different cases, but in reality, how do we live? Because naturally, in our fleshly state, we give in to those five desires. We give in to those little idols that we naturally crave. Last week, my second daughter, Kristen, got married. And um, <coughs> there was such a huge example of our craving and natural desires going past what we logically can control in our life. And these three little minions were there. My grandson, Mason, he's uh, two. We call him the Mace. Um, but he's just, you know, wide open, looks like Sonic. I mean, he's just, you might have saw him as a little blonde mohawk going through. And, and then his two little buddies, Trevor, who's three, the older, the smart one of the group, I guess, you know. And, uh, and then their buddy, Tucker, okay. 
and they're going through, and you've got the whole wedding ceremony. It's the big reception, you know, all the foods laid out. You got this huge wedding cake, and just everybody's like, ooh, oh, isn't that so pretty? You know, so I'm the little big stand. Everybody's like getting ready. These little dudes, their eyes are focused on one thing the groom's table. On the groom's table, in the middle of the groom's table, in this crystal bowl, just about this level, for all the little minions, right at their eye level, is this bowl of ultimate desire and pleasure. We call it kitty crack. You know it as Skittles. It was a whole bowl full, and it was right at their eye height, and they could actually go up and go, (laughs) and they have all these different colors, and it tastes so phenomenal, and it's all we want. And you could just see these guys that they would, you know, the first time, and you could tell all the moms were like, you know, telling the husbands, hey, just, you know, two or three, two or three. And they're like, and pretty soon the husbands, as they're getting in, and they're doing all the big group family dance, and all the little dudes are like, nobody's watching me. Shoom, whoa, you know, and they're just consuming it. And pretty soon all their faces are covered in this rainbow of ecstasy, of taste, and sugar. And they're just going wide open. And toward the end of the evening, my grandson Mason, his, he's finally, um, my son-in-law, Ryan, he's got him kind of on his lap, just trying to hold him still and passing him to between the, uh, my two other daughters. And he's just got this rainbow of slobber on the table from other skettles that he couldn't get in his mouth that got wet. And he's making this art form on these ivory tablecloths. And his buddy, Tucker, is laying on the side of the floor. And he finds a, a skittle on the floor. And he's like, and his tongue reaches out and lifts it into his mouth like one more taste of satisfaction, you know? And we look at that and we think, how can those kids get out of control? And the whole time the moms are like, oh, you're going to get sick. Don't eat it. Yeah, good. And sure enough, the next day, Devin's like, oh, he was up all night. What? Belly ache, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, and we look at that and we think, man, how ridiculous. But God, in the same way, looks at us, his sons and daughters, his children, and says, man, so many times you guys are the exact same way. I give you a balance of what you should have in your, who you are, in your prestige, in your self-esteem. I give you a balance of what you are as far as your resources and your money. And we just consume, we get to the point where we're like those little kids and we start to worship those things that he said are good things, but they are not the thing. And we quickly make them the thing in our life. I want to show you two different passages today, two different guys. The first one is in Luke 18, and uh, <clears throat> let me just start off reading this scripture so you see, and I want to compare these two guys and just how they came in and how they met with Jesus, and anyway, see if you can see what their true focus of their worship was. Verse 18 says, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, honor your father and mother. And the young man quickly speaks up and said, all these I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, now let me just stop right there. He comes in and this is a very successful young man because at this time Jesus has gotten well known. He's done enough miraculous things in his life that people are starting to follow him that really don't know him as God, really don't know the big point and thing of him giving his life on the cross one day and, and, and dying as a penalty for our sins and becoming you know, our savior. They, they may not have that, but they've started to follow him because his teaching is just so incredibly applicable to their life. And what he's done with the hurting, the sick, 
and, and you know, just blind people are seeing, people who are lame can walk, and just, it, it's just huge. And so it's not just, you know, like Hollywood paints these pictures and you see Jesus and the Super 12 and like 20 people. No, I mean, there's like hundreds, sometimes even thousands of people in these towns following him. And this young man comes on the scene in the middle of a discussion with these Sadducees and Pharisees, and he quickly gets to the front of Jesus. Now, to do that, right there tells us that this is a young man with some charisma. This is a young man who probably looks pretty good. He's probably good looking, you know? And so he comes to the head of the crowd, and, and nobody hinders him. Nobody says, hey, no. They recognize this guy. He's a mover and a shaker. He's got something to offer Jesus. And he quickly goes to the front, and Jesus, you know, tries to say, hey, you know what is expected. You know, man, if you're going to honor God, and he, he throws out those things. And Jesus is so good at that. He's so good at knowing what exactly is in our heart. It doesn't matter what the outward is. Jesus knows what's in here. And so he goes out, and he just lies it out for this guy. Because this young man is so full of himself, but he's religious. Now, how do we know he's religious? Because he quickly has said, I've kept all the commandments. Now, in Jewish culture, it's not just the Ten Commandments, okay? At this time, the Pharisees have come on the scene, and they've added about two. So there's 2,500 commandments, other extra rules that they've added in that he confidently, very proudly, very self-absorbed says, I've kept them all. I mean, be like me coming in this morning and say, hey, I'm Pastor Todd. I've read the Bible. I keep it all true. I perfectly live what the Bible says. My wife would be in the back going, because she knows on the way down here today, that even though those little white signs, they got numbers on them, like on 95 and US 1, when I'm a little bit late, I'm like, okay, Brian wants me here. They're so blurry, I can't tell if they say 65, you know? But I got get here on time, you know? And so that's the important thing, right? But you know, I don't, I know that that is really a sin. I might laugh it off as, oh no, that's just, a, that's a sin. I mean, that's my, my government authorities that do not drive this limit. I drove that limit. I clearly sinned. Now, I'm not going to lose a whole lot of sleep about it. I don't know if I should call the governor in Tallahassee and say, hey, man, I messed up on US 1. You know, was it 55? Yeah, dude, it was like a Molly Hatcher song. I was just, you know. But it's just, we don't get that way. And so we start to justify those things. And for someone to walk up to God's son, to Jesus, and say, I have kept them all, this guy not only is a mover and shaker, he thinks he's a mover and shaker for God. And Jesus goes through the back door and he says, oh man. I mean, you just wish you could be there. And it's in all the gospels. If we had time to go to Matthew 19, it's in there. It's in Mark 10 and it's here in Luke 18. This is what he says. Look what he says to him. One thing you lack. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't one of these things. Hey, good teacher. It was a, hey, good teacher. Name's Rich Young Ruler. How you doing, Jesus? Well, have you done all the? Hey, I've kept them all. Kept them all since I was a little boy. And you know, and the Super Twelve are like, man, this guy is it. He's what we're looking for. He's rich. He's going to help our vision of reaching the planet. I mean, come on. And they're all just like, man, this is a guy. Let him get up to Jesus. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. And you know, he must have went like, did you not hear me? I kept all the commandments. Jesus says, how about this? Take all your stuff, sell it, and give it away. Give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then you can come and follow me. (laughs) 
no, I'm going to follow you, and if there's a need that arises, Jesus, I will give you. You know, if all of a sudden you guys need a van, I'll give you a Jaguar, but I'm not going to just sell my stuff to the poor people. And that's probably the worst verse in the Bible. I mean, seriously. The worst verse in the Bible says, he sadly turned and walked away. Jesus went and gave him a gut check and said, am I your God, or is it your stuff and your money? It was his stuff and his money. Because his stuff and his money is who he identified with. And his stuff and his money, in our culture, in our culture of underachievers, in our culture of being Americans, and we do what we do because we're Americans. And we make it happen. I mean, I, I've been in other countries. I was in China and talking in the university one time. And they're like, how do you make such great decisions? You're American, you're so quick. I'm like, then we just do it, you know? I mean, we're just, we don't think about it. We're just going to make it happen. It may be wrong, but we're going to make it happen. You know, we're from the revolution. I mean, we didn't like your tea. We threw it in the river and we said, we don't need no taxes. This is our way, you know. <laughs> that's how we were born. That's our plan, you know. And so that's just kind of indwelled in every American is make it happen, you know. But sometimes it can backfire on you. And so in that culture and in that moment, this young man is totally crushed because everything, his whole identity has been wrapped up in who he is. Jesus said, you need to get rid of and make your identity in me. And even the disciples are just crushed because they thought this was the guy. I mean, he would be the type of guy if he came in there this morning, the epic leadership team would say, this is it, Trent Tim. <laughs> you know that new building? This is the guy. You know, He reads his Bible. He does a quiet time. You know, it's like Tim Tebow. Poor Tim, you know. He's on a train. Some, you know, lady does something. Oh, God bless you. What did you hear what Tim Tebow said? Tim Tebow said, on a train, God bless you. You know, I mean, everywhere he goes, you know. And that was the way this guy was. He had the reputation, but inside, listen, inside, he had traded worship for the one Jehovah God, for Yahweh, for the counterfeit God of wealth and prestige. And he sadly had to turn and walk away. And as we're going through this series, these couple weeks, there are things that are going to come up that you've got to ask yourself in your heart, does that thing mean more to me than the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, who's made everything around me and has passionately pursued me since the day I was born? Let's look at this other guy. That was the rich young ruler. There's this guy named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus, he's coming from the other side of tracks. He's coming from the side that he knows he's been worshiping the counterfeit gods, He's been all about prestige. He's been all about power and position. And it has totally left him empty. It has totally left him hollow. It has totally left him needing. And so we see, let me just read these first couple of verses for you. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was so small. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to walk by. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down because I must come to your house today. Now we read that and we don't, we don't get the full effect of the culture. We don't. I mean, we, we kind of get this is going on. We kind of think, oh, yeah, a little short guy is kind of weird. You know, you had, I always had that problem in high school. You know, you see the beautiful tall girls, and you're like, hey, you know. Like, you know. But we don't get it in, in this setting. First of all, 
This guy had no social friends, no social relationships whatsoever. With his prestige and power and his position, he should have been feared. He should, if anything else, people would have just passed because they were scared of what he would charge them in their taxes. Because the Romans had put nationals in charge of collecting taxes, and they'd say, okay, you guys need to charge the people 10%. And these nationals, many times, because their whole F thing was greed, they would charge the people 20 and sometimes 30%. And Zacchaeus wasn't just a normal tax collector. He was chief. He was in charge of dozens of tax collectors. So he got a second kickback from all the guys under him. Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man. Zacchaeus, though, was hated by all of his... It's almost like with the Hurricane Sandy that we've had. You know, we've had great stories of people who've survived Katrina and have went up and done amazing things to help the efforts. But then there's stories of other people. There was a guy last week who they'd caught... He does this tree removal service. And he specifically, he specifically pointed out people that were over 75. And usually ones that were just enough out of the city limits that there wasn't a whole lot of authorities around. And he would target these elderly people and he'd have them give them $1,000 up front. And then he would just leave. Never remove the tree, never remove the debris. And, so, and then he had taken four to five people per day for two weeks until they found this guy. Probably made close to 100000 at the hurts and needs of others. And that disgusts us. That's the way people felt about Zacchaeus. And so when he's coming into the crowd, the crowd's not even letting. They're like, dude, here comes Zach. Kind of squeezing tighter. A jerk. Hey. I mean, he's the type of guy after trick-or-treat in town, they'd take the donkey dung and smear it around his house. You know? I mean, he, they couldn't stand him. And so out of desperation, because he knows everything that he's lived for, the power, the position, the money, he's empty, man. One more party of friends who don't care, they just want your stuff, he still feels the same. And he knows there's got to be something different out there. And he's seen these people who have seen Jesus, and he's seen the change in their life. He's heard about what's done. And so, man, he wants to go. And so in desperation, in this culture, he goes and climbs in a sycamore tree. And again, that's just kind of, okay, short dude, got to get up high, I understand. But in their culture, for a man of his position and power, it would be severe humiliation. It would be so embarrassing to be looked upon. It would be a culture. It would be like you and your family loading up, going next door to the neighbor's trash can, opening up the can, and you and your kids feeding on the can. It would be that shameful and that humiliating to you. And so for Zacchaeus to do this, man, desperately shows his need to have something because we all live in a life that we're trying to do anything to feel something because Without Jesus, we don't feel anything. And that's where Zacchaeus was. He's been trying to counter for God's, and he's been coming up empty. He's desperate inside. But then Jesus sees him. Jesus says, I must come to your house today. Zac quickly came down from the tree and hurried down to his house and joyfully received Jesus. And when those that around him saw it, they grumbled and said, why has he gone into this to be guest of this sinner? Man, the people around it weren't excited. You know, a lot of times when people like some of the ways that if you're a believer today and you have a connection with God, but you're still grabbing onto that counterfeit God, sometimes that comes up when people get blessed. When you're one of the people, man, you've been serving unselfishly and, and you got the guy, who's, you know, he's cheated on his wife and all of a sudden he gets a promotion. <laughs> The person who's filed chapter 13 and you're paying double taxes this year and all of a sudden 
You know, the government's giving them, and you're just like, what? Do you realize that if we would just focus on God and what God's doing in our life and what he puts for our needs and, and rejoice when people around us, when God does things for them, rejoice when people meet the needs relationally, financially, of those around us, it would show that we understand that everything we have is God's and everything we get from him is from him. And it's not us. And when the point we start to envy other people or envy the breaks they get in life or the opportunities is when we start to say, God, that's mine and not yours. And we start to create that little idol of wealth. Look what Zacchaeus does. <coughs> this is so wild compared to the rich young ruler. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, God, half of my goods... I'm going to give to the poor. And anybody I've cheated on anything, I'm going to restore four times. And Jesus said to him, truly today, salvation has come to your house. (coughs) Outward expression from inward change. Outward expression from inward change. And when we look at that story and we think, man, Zacchaeus, I mean, he outward is the moment that God came into his life, the moment he connected in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't have to say anything. He realized, I've got lots of stuff, and there's people around me who are hurting. There's people around me with needs. There's people around me that I can help. He immediately takes his stuff, half of it, and says, here it is, man. Can you guys find some people to give this stuff to? And then those who's wronged, according to Jewish law, he should have paid double. He he. Doubled the, what the penalty would have been. If he would have confessed it up front, he would have only had to pay back twice as much as he defrauded. He says, I'm going to do four times the amount that I've defrauded people. See, our outward expression, our outward expression and how we live, how we interact, our attitudes, is always an inward reflection of the change that Jesus has really made in our life. And I want us to tell you, we can be religious, we can come do the mission trips, we can come show up and serve <clears throat> but if there's no change, there's no Jesus. I mean, seriously. If there's no change, there's no Jesus. The way you play, man, the way everything about you should be about what God has done in your life. And the disciples, man, they were blown away because the rich young ruler on the outside, they thought, man, this guy has it all together. But truly, the person that everyone hated, once he traded in those counterfeit idols for the real God, they saw the outward change. How we wrap this up, I think really just how people react. People react. If I get to the point where I truly worship God instead of the idols around me, I'm going to be obsessed with Jesus, and I'll give openly and freely without hesitation. Without hesitation. When you've got to think about, when you hear of a need, and you have to think about, mm, you know, God, I know this family. I know they're out of work. I know I could give them a week's worth of groceries, but God, where do you want to go this? I mean... If you can just wait till the Super Bowl, God. Because I've got a 32-inch, and my plan at Christmas is to go to the 72-inch, God. And I promise, just as faithful as Tebow prays, God, I am going, listen, as soon as I get that TV, then I'll, that little hesitation is just an inward sign of one of those idols that we've let take control of our life. And so many times, man, we hesitate. Well, God, I'm, I'm, Lord, I just, I don't look right. You know, I mean, Tim wants me to help in a small group. Look at me. Oh, by the way, what time is my Botox 
appointment today. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're scared to speak in front of people. We're scared to be in front of people, but we like to get our lips expanded so we can be in front of people, you know? In fact, I was telling my church <clears throat> a while back, <clears throat> I said, it's funny. We've got to beg and plead, and we've got so many people that gripe about the price of mission trips. But I said, if I could take all the plastic surgery that's been done in the last two years <laughs> and put that in our mission fund, <laughs> we, we wouldn't have any needs. <laughs> you know, you got some people, huh? And again, in its balance and things, and and I know there's, you know, people who have gone through dilapidating diseases and things, but are you going to stand before God and say, God, look at my $20,000 booty. Isn't it nice? And at the same time, there's 25,000 kids per day, per day, dying in Africa because there's no food. I mean, when when he looks at the American church, if we say, yeah, but look at my body. Can we, doesn't that show an inward counterfeit God really that we have as a society and a culture, even the church of God as a whole? Because we're so obsessed with the outside. We're so obsessed with the way we look. People who trade in their idols for Jesus and become truly worshipers of Jesus, man, they're obsessed with Jesus. They don't even consider service a burden. I had a friend of mine, I was hoping he was come this morning. I don't know if he's in here or not. It's kind of hard to see with the lights, but... His name's Robbie, and him and his wife, Rika, from Budapest, Hungary. And we've partnered with their little church uh, years ago. And one of the things that always impressed upon me, and this is, you know, 10 years ago. They were paying seven, eight bucks a gallon for gas back then. And we had done some youth revival things and youth sports camps in their city. And it was the first time their church had ever had teenagers come to a worship service, ever, ever. The church was 30 years old. It was the first time they had teenagers in the worship service. And I can remember Robbie and Jolt counting up how much money they had between them to make sure that they could get a car to borrow and pick up students to take them to a worship service. And I can remember coming home after that week and coming into my brand new house that we just built and seeing the, you know, the tub with the turbo jets and and when we were just a modest house, it's like these around here. It's about 1,800, 1,900 square feet. But you look at all that. And I looked at Robbie and his wife in his little apartment. And Jolt, Pastor Jolt, he had a little two-bedroom, Cody, a little two-bedroom flat to the side of the church. It dual, doubled as a children's ministry place. And then they used it as their home. And that's where some of us stayed. But man, for them, the smiles of serving those students in their city and seeing students for the first time come and worship at their worship service, it was worth whatever they had. And so many times when people ask us here at Epic to do the slightest things of serving with our children or serving with a distribution of food or helping build a house, Habitat for Humanity or something, we're just like, man, my time. And God's like, is that another idol? The last thing. People who trade their, their idols for their God is they are people who are obsessed with Jesus and are not consumed with personal serve, safety and comfort. They're risk takers. They're risk takers. They believe Galatians 2.20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've died to the flesh and Christ lives in me. They're risk takers. Do you know that there's some of you, you've been fighting. God said, I want you to go to Guatemala. And you're like, Big spiders, tarantulas, beans and rice every day. That makes an interesting thing at night, by the way. Um, 
no AC, God, no AC, Lord, no AC, you know. And all the time the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, would you just take a step out? There's some of you that, man, there's a middle school small group of boys. And you're like, yeah, like that's going to happen. But you know, you're the guy, probably in your 30s or 40s. You do all the hunting and fishing stuff. And there's some of those middle school boys in a small group that don't have a dad because he's too busy in the American dream or they're in their third or fourth relationship. And you could be that small group leader to come into those guys and show them what a real man who loves God. What he looks like. What he lives for. What he's made of. You say, well, not me. Man, that's, Todd, come on. You see, people who are in love with Jesus, people who've traded the idol of self-position and, and possessions and stuff and have traded it to worship and serve the God of gods, the creator of the universe, man, they are constantly serving with all that they have. This week, as you go through this series with Trent and Tim, and there's different things God lays on your heart, I hope you'll be asking yourself, number one, do I know the true God? Has there come a time and place in my life where I've committed my life totally to Jesus Christ? I've made him boss of my life. And two, if I've done that, am I doing everything in my power and resources to make him known? God doesn't hate the stuff. He just wants the stuff in the proper order of what it should be in the priority of our lives. I mean, yesterday was the biggest worship day for men across our country. Literally. There were worship places all over our country, filled to capacity, 60,000, 70,000 men in every place of worship yesterday. In fact, many of them paid 100 bucks to be there. And they had weird faces painted. And some of them had lizards on their head going chomp, chomp, chomp. Others had little dogs on their keychain going, oh, 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 yeah. All in the name of football. The bad thing? Not a bad thing. Man, I love playing in East Texas. We grew up in the Mecca of football. But it's not the thing. It's not the thing. We're going to close with this video. Watch it and tell me if you're chasing the American dream or you're chasing God's dream. Let's close in prayer. Hey, God, as we come into this week of Thanksgiving, and God, we get a chance to get around with families and things and just be thankful, Father, for all that you've given us, all the stuff. Lord, help us to be thinking, are we serving the stuff? Are we serving the Savior who's provided the stuff? Are we making an impact for ourselves? Or are we making an impact for the kingdom? Lord, this country, this county, this town, this city, these families, Lord, they need a group of people. Father, my house needs a man who's totally sold out for you so that their kids and grandkids can look at him and say, here's a man who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul. Help us to be about your business. Help us be examining if we have any idols in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you guys have a great day. Thank God, right? Amen. We have, uh, you know, sometimes you get up early in the morning, like for myself, uh, getting up this morning, it's kind of, I'm kind of dragging feet, you know, studying late last night, a lot of things going on, but isn't it awesome we can come here and worship and just, they totally do a great job up here and we're able to block out everything and just focus on God. So if you could just give a hand to the worship team that we have here. 
Now, Thanksgiving is only a few days away. How many of you are ready for Thanksgiving? Awesome. How many of you are ready for that semi-turkey, comatose-induced little sleep nap for football-watching time right there? Yeah, right on, right? And then how many um, for the Black Friday shopping? Oh, yeah, we got a couple uh, enthusiasts there, right? All right. The day's off? Yes. Uh, Todd's down here going all week off? We're good. Uh, uh, we get a little bit of all three of those. We enjoy every aspect of it. For myself, I do the fried turkey. For my wife over here, Robin, she does the tofurkey. Has anybody heard the tofurkey? Oh, you a fan of it? I, I've seen the thing. It's like football-shaped tofu with like stuffing in it. It's absolutely amazing-ish for her. Um, <laughs> if you want to see it, I'll post a, I'll post a picture on uh, the Surge Facebook for you so you can be as enthusiastic about that as I am. But we have a little tradition. Um, we get together over at my sister-in-law's house, and it is, we eat, we have a good time. I'm watching football, and all the girls get together. They sit down with the ads, and it's like almost like a Calvary coming in. They make all their little decisions on what they're going to buy, and then they get with us, and they're like, okay, we're in line. You have to go over here. Here's your little sheet of paper with everything that we need on it. Here's your sheet. And it's like we're all going to different areas, and we meet up at the counter at one time. It's like a little army revival type thing that we have going on. But it's a blast. We have a good time and we're able to get together with family. Um, But my name's Cody Anderson. Thank you for joining us today um, on our series of uh, Counterfeit God. And um, we have a few things happening. I'm going to give you a few announcements first before we break into the message. Um, But God asks us to give of our time, our talents, and our resources. And if you call Epic your home, if this is your place of worship, um, and you'd like to give, there's two ways you can do so. You can give behind, uh, in our giving boxes behind all the pews back here, or you can give online at theepicchurch.com. You can give that way. Also, we had a couple weeks ago, everybody nominated families for the giving tree to be able to give back to our Flagler County families, our Epic families, just to provide needs that they have throughout the holiday season. So next week and the week after, which is going to be November 25th and December 2nd, we are going to have the tree back there. It's a pre-lit Christmas tree, and it's going to have all these little cards on it. So first come, first serve. If you want to, your choice of what it's going to be, you can show up and you can choose that. But there's going to be toys, there's going to be clothes, there's going to be gift cards for the families that have specific needs, you know, just as they get through the holiday season. Um, but we're also partnering with, um, with Alpha Pregnancy Center. So there's going to be gift cards and supplies on there of baby food, of uh, infant clothes, um, just different things that can really help new mothers provide for their children. And also there's going to be gift cards and wrapping paper needs on there because we have to be able to provide wrapping paper for all the gifts that we're buying for the family. So we'll give them wrapping paper to go along with it. So there's going to be an abundance of things that you guys can really grip onto. And I know you guys always go way above and beyond what we ever ask of you. So thank you so much. Now, if this is your first time here at Epic, if you're just checking this out and, uh, and you're just wondering what our real heartbeat is here, um, we have a connection center back in the corner over there. And if you could just step by there, we have a little packet for you. Um, just give, it gives you a little info about what Epic is really about. Um, and just go back there, stop in, talk to them for a little bit and just plug in there. Now, we are in our second week of the Counterfeit God series, and we have, um, we have a special guest with us, which is Tammy's bro- brother, Todd Carr. He's going to be doing the message and guiding us through the stuff and the junk that blocks us from really connecting with God. So if you could, before he comes up, let's pray together. Father God, just, uh, just thank you. 
thank you just for all these people you've placed here in the body of Christ, Lord. Just thank you for blessing us with them. Thank you for our leaders. Um, as Tim and Trent are traveling, I ask that you be with them and their families, Lord. Um, and I appreciate everything they do for us. They're so serving and so giving, Lord. And uh, just great families just to be able to surround ourselves with, Lord. And uh, thank you for Todd. Thank you for Todd just taking his time and coming down from Callahan and just blessing us and guiding us through the message that you have for us, Lord. And as we break into it, as we dive into this, Lord, we don't want to just hear what you have for us. We want to love and just cherish and take in what you have for us, Lord. So let us hear him. Let us really take in what you are talking through, Todd. So thank you for everything that you're doing here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.